Hi, welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share firsthand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Kevin, and I'm part of the team here at Tintech. On today's episode, we have the conclusion of our conversation with Baz Van Leeuwen, Marketing Director at Gen25. So here's part two of our conversation with Baz. Take it away, Gene. Baz, welcome back to the show. In our previous episode, we talked about how to really think about data, the role of it, and how to work with it. I mean, looking at the entire customer journey, are we having some kind of trend here where we are start using data more in certain you know journey and some places where it's lacking? What do you what are you seeing in overall when you see the entire journey? Thanks, uh, Gina, and great to be back on the show. I think there's a lot of work being done in transactional data, so getting specific transactions up and running using data and improving customer experience is really important points. For example, education, right? My experience a decade ago with education institutes, it tends to be complex to get to the right room in a specific building and a specific time to get my lesson going. And it wasn't an acceptance per se, or an exception, so to say that we had to go to another room because it was booked and somebody else was there and it was really complex. So I was annoyed because I just wanted to have an in-depth discussion on a specific topic and not travel around with my bag to another location because it wasn't working, right? So using data, which is uh, available, like education planning, perhaps with the maintenance roster, perhaps with sick or attendance uh, of, of teachers, Combining those data into a better model to plan an education experience is really valuable. And that's all transaction data. This is, of course, interesting. Uh, It doesn't per se improve my life if it doesn't let me down, right? So I think it's okay because it's a hygiene factor and if it's running nicely, it's okay. But using data to predict outcomes is really interesting. And we see it a lot, especially in in retail, for example, if you bought this one, perhaps this, if you bought these shoes, perhaps these trousers will fit you also. Or if you bought these shoes, half a year later, a new model will arrive. So perhaps this is one you want to go for also. But using data and improving the customer experience, really predicting what the next step will be, even uh, prescribing what the next step will be. So automating procedures, based on data is really interesting. And it's just something also a lot of companies are looking into. This is where the AI hype is about, right? First of all, it was big data, then it was data science, and then AI was the new thing. If you organized an event and AI was in the name, I think you get twice the amount of participants. So we're all about AI, but AI is really about data science or data being used in a specific model to predict an outcome. If you look at a transactional procedure, then data can be really interesting in providing an even more efficient outcome in this case. But it's also the limitation because human intelligence is really usable in not confined environments, right? Getting the human intelligence there, thinking about interaction, about different possibilities is really important. So if you look at customer experience, 
if you're using, for example, direct messenger or chat environment with your customers, you could say, I'm going to automate this with a chatbot. I think it's really interesting to do so because a lot of questions are asked regularly, how late, at what time does my flight depart? Uh, where's my parcel at this point? You can use a chatbot to answer that. That's all data. That's all describing or prescribing even the next event which should take place. But there's a, a line which you cross at some point in which the question and the answer don't have the right probability to be correct. So if you're below the 80%, which is with the answer being possible correct, you have to switch to human interaction, for example. So the chatbot can generate a specific answer based on data, consumer data, which use your application and send it to some representative or employee of your company who can review the answer and push the answer forward or even take up the conversation. And there's a real smart interaction between repeatable mass transaction interaction, which you can use data and you can even automate it with AI versus this is a specific problem which has a broader scope or it's more complex in which it can, the human can step in and make the customer experience better using the baseline of data which is available, but adding human intelligence above technology. And, and, you know, I sometimes hesitate to go there, but I'm going to go there. I, I really think that because I, I don't consider AI being a cute little role tech about asking questions, but I do think that in certain contexts, it, it is helpful to think of it as a, you know, at some point, at least some parts of the, you know, human society decided there is a role that AI needs to play. And it is sort of, you know, willful decision. How are we going to train this to get to a certain level of whether confidence level that you are talking about? And now we have gotten to a point where the data comes in, as you said, every transaction, and then a machine is doing that analysis part of it and actually giving you the meaning of it. And now it becomes, can they actually make the decisions as well? But if I look back, the human experience, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I had a lot of times who, whose gut feeling what used to be pretty good at predicting these things. And I think we all had like in even business setting or outside of personally, you have this person go to person to ask that, right? And then they wouldn't be hesitant to do a gut call. How do we deal with this qualitative part that sometimes it's just like a rich, you know, it's, it's like comes from a... Huge, huge thing. I think it's a really interesting question. I think our gut feeling was really important when COVID happened. Because if you made predictions using data, using the pattern which existed from, I don't know, 2000 until 2019, was going to continue on the same path for 2020 and 2021. And we all know the world changed, right? I don't think any model with the best AI running should have predicted that travel decreased with, I don't know, 80% or even more in specific regions. This is a really important point. Data can be used to predict the future by using the past. But if there are some major changes ahead, we have these brains above, which you can use to think about the next best solution because there's no competition, right? Between an AI model and a human. I think if you look at specific transactions and doing something faster, a specific AI algorithm, if it's 
applied within the best software context and if it's linked to specific outcomes which can then address specific actions can do things more efficient in a repeatable manner just like energy usage in a, in a server park but if you look at creativity and about solving problems which are new human intelligence is really important because when COVID happened all patterns more or less disappeared and we have to think about new ways of working in some cases and we really scaled up online working versus going to the office companies have to think about new ways of producing goods because if you're in the event business and COVID happens well you better go fishing or something else or think about a new product to to develop because no events are happening if you are making tailored suits I talked to a specific suit company. Nobody's buying suits these days. Everybody's buying, I don't know, training uh, outfits and uh, with perhaps some nice upper half and, uh, and just some relaxing shorts beneath, right? So you have to really think about how I'm going to change my model fast or my production fast to get my company up and running, to get the best experience, to continue as a company or as an organization. And no... AI model or data is going to help you in there. The gut feeling about what's the best decision is probably the best one if the environment's rapidly changing, which you're in. How should we think about separating uh, like noise from the actual signal that you can embrace and you know get your action towards? Because here's what I'm, I mean, there's a huge debate. Here we are, you're uh, sitting in Amsterdam, I'm in Germany, and we kind of uh, all from our home office but there's a huge debate going on right now. I mean, for real estate, commercial real estate, it's a huge topic where this hybrid working or people going back to office. Is there a better way to dissect, recognize what is unnecessary noise and what are some of the signals that you do have to factor into? I think if there's a lot of information available, think about running a hypothesis and challenging the hypothesis in practice and see what the outcome is. I think one of the main challenges we have is that we are too much focused on efficiency. And we think efficiency in any case is the best way to work. Just looking from an efficiency point of view, where people working together, you have to build a team. And uh, you don't build a team if everybody's sitting at home all day. In any corporation which uh, has a total work from home policy, people are really anxious to go to the office again. Because they want, people are built for interaction with each other. Basic human values, if you think about using data to get things more efficient, but also challenge it with what's pleasurable and what's on the long-term value for my, for my corporation. As we talked about, the data can point you to many different directions, whether it's about recommending somebody who is very upfront and, and, you know, in kind of a marketing way, whether you're coming up with a complete, doing it different way, your entire transaction experience so that it becomes a kind of a new business model and whatnot. And it happens different funnel stage. The reality is that we still deal with a lot of silos. So is there, are we learning more about how best to combine and connect the data that is happening in all different parts of the journey and using it for a total experience for the same business outcome? Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest there. If you look at Google Trends, right, where you can do some queries on uh, what is of high interest to people, you can see that the data lake search is 
I think, five times bigger than artificial intelligence. So people are far more interested in uh, how can I create a data lake or more active on how can I create a data lake as in search for artificial intelligence. So I think it's important to think about if we have got these silos, how can we combine those silos towards one environment in which they can, well, all the data is gathered and in some ways cleaned or even comparable so they can run better algorithms or better models or get a better picture of a specific customers or employees even, which is also important. So building a data lake, which is a combination of getting all this data resources into one environment is really important. And it's also about making choices not to have a specific solution for every problem, but think about how can we make a solution bigger to solve more problems. And there's always a challenge between both, right? Because the specific solution in some cases is the, is the better solution for a specific problem, but it gets you into trouble with total customer or employee image. So there's a, a bit of a interchange or competition between both topics. And uh, really getting your data into one environment is helpful. But again, if you focus only on the data lake, and I'm coming back, I think it was in the first episode, I said it's not about collecting data because data itself doesn't want to do anything. Perhaps start with a smaller environment, run experiments on that, and then broaden your environment and make the lake better. Because if you only focus on the data lake and getting a lot of data in, you're just harvesting crude oil, which doesn't want to really power your car or your plane in this case. So basically, I wholeheartedly, knowing perhaps a bigger problem that and just kind of rallying around that problem, solving that first, the typical learning processes that maybe that will lead us to think about the actual need for the data lake in terms of what we get out of it and how do we control it and all that. You know, we started out the first episode really talking about some business are literally losing customers because uh, mm -hmm. somebody else is really providing uh, more digitally connected experiences that is very much needed now. So now who are charged with that task of like, don't lose the customer to that competition. And now, you know, the person is really trying to lead that initiative, looking at, okay, how do we get started? Yeah. Now, just think about maybe uh, make a, a simple comparison to people going to a shop, right? So if it's a physical shop, I'm going uh, towards the shop. I'm looking at the uh, entrance. If it's uh, blocked or empty or the, the windows are broken, I'm not going to go to that shop. I think I'm not going to have the best solution, right? So, And it's also about how does your user interface look? Perhaps the customers which are coming in are the right customers, but if there's a visit rate of 100% or 90% things before entering the door, I'm going to leave because it's your advertising is going wrong. So it's about getting uh, your analytics uh, really on the on the shop front, right? Which is available in most cases from Google Analytics. It's, it's an easy data platform, of course, for a lot of companies to use. If you look at the specific customer journey, you can look at which products are clicked on most, which products are best used. If they go to the chart and, and wanting to purchase a specific project or, uh, product, sorry, is everybody backing down at the payment? So is there something wrong with the customer interaction on the payment part? And it's also good to challenge some people around you. This is not per se a scientific way of working, but to, to ask even your grandma to experience how the digital flow works. Because 
or even your children. They can really give you a new perspective on or your parents, how to use a specific environment, a digital environment, and, and where people are challenged on how to use it. And what you can also do is just look for trends. So if you look at a trend query like a Google Trends, you can see what are people looking for at this point. So if I think about my own product, how should I do a search on that? And what's important for people to, to have a look at? If people bought trousers in your clothing shop, they're bound to be interested in more than trousers only. So if you use data about trousers and you think we have to sell them more trousers and you only offer them trousers, they're never going to buy sweaters. I think really with, with large platforms like, like Salesforce, for example, which has this on-time proposition, which has a lot of also chatbot interaction, can really help you get started on more intelligent solutions using data. So you don't have to build it all yourself. There's a lot available on the market at this point. Excellent. Given the space that you work in, is there something that you're really excited about that perhaps, you know, you ended with talking about some of the CRM cloud platforms that the opportunity that they are opening up? Is there something that really excites you that's emerging that you're looking out for? What I think is really interesting, in the past CRM platforms were focused on segmenting in specific larger groups. And now you see interaction with customers has become far more individual. It's easier for customers to interact with, with bigger platforms such as via the social channels or mobile to get some interaction with a company, which is also aligned with the CRM platform to get specific tailored response back and also a specific offering. And if you look at, I don't know, five years ago, for example, looking at the CRM platform, it was more or less, this is a specific large group and they have to have this specific offer because we think on average, it'll suit them best. And if you look at the interaction now with the usage of data and CRM platforms and specific interaction methods like mobile and chat and your website, offerings can be made far more individual and even solving a solution can be made far more individual which is great because then you see people as individuals and not so much as larger target groups who are the same. So I think that's a really interesting uh, development, technology evolving to the point in which technology acknowledges in some ways, which we built, of course, that we are individuals and not so much groups. Yeah. I remember the era where the word personalization just meant that, you know, changing uh, first name on the top of the same letter. And I'm like, well, that's called a mass personalization, which is an oxymoron. You could be a mass or personalized. So I think I think we are at a stage where we are looking at real personalization. That's exciting space to be in. And this is kind of a nosy question. Can you tell me so that we get to know you better what you do most on your mobile phone these days? Um, three well, things. Just, I know you have a lot, but three yeah. things will do. <laughs> well, just thinking out loud, if, if I travel to the office in the morning, I always check uh, traffic. So that's a really important one for me because traffic can be dense in the Netherlands, although it really has improved, so to say, kind of a strange comparison. But when COVID entered, it really uh, improved on the, the traffic density in the, on the Dutch highway. So uh, estimating how long it will take is an important uh, part for me. Music is, of course, really important. So using Spotify is one of the things I really like to do. Also with the recommendation engine beneath it. So it really gives me new 
music uh, ideas to, to listen to based on my individual needs. So that's an important one. I'm using a WhatsApp a lot to communicate with a lot of people and uh, just easy communication, getting in touch. And I think it's easy, even more important since COVID happened because we we had some limitations in the Netherlands in which you can't visit your friends, right? You can't have people coming over. So using traditional phone, but also even chat environments are really important for me to keep the interaction going with a group of my friends, which I, in some cases I haven't seen for six months or so. And only I had some interaction with them using chat on the phone, but it's still highly appreciated and uh, very important for me. So those are three, I guess, and I can Excellent. name 10 more. But <laughs> Excellent. I, th- I think that is a lifestyle statement, more of so what you are missing. So thanks for sharing that. And uh, it was absolutely lovely getting your thoughts on some of the tough topics. And I just absolutely loved how you can put kind of a reference that we can all relate to. And, and that was really helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me, Jean. And I really appreciate your questions. And it's been a fun talk. Thanks again to Baz Van Leeuwen for joining us today. You can find more about Baz at gen25.com. To find out more about Jean at Tintech, visit tintech.com. Make sure to subscribe to Mobile Interactions Now and Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Tintech, thanks for listening.